You're listening to Key Conversations for Leaders. This is episode number two. And welcome, everybody. It's John Ryan here. And today we're going to be talking about how to go beyond the fishbowl effect and, of course, what that is and how to stay calm in the center of the storm by using the five-step CEO morning routine. This is all brought to you through the words of James Murphy, a veteran in the transformation industry. On today's show, we're going to be talking about how to go, of course, beyond the fishbowl effect to create long-lasting change. We're going to identify the four major obstacles that we encounter in business and life and the importance of letting go of your old stories in order to create and fulfill your vision and how to use the CEO morning routine to find clarity by being calm and centered even when the storm is all around us and, of course, much, much more. Your career started with a conversation, and every major professional achievement or setback since then has also hinged on the conversations you had. Your future as a leader in your organization will continue to be shaped by the quality of the conversations you have with your team, your customers, and yourself. This podcast will teach you the keys to effective conversations. Hey, everybody. For today's show, we have a very special guest of James Murphy, executive coach, speaker, consultant, and founder of Evolution for Success. James has been actively working as a coach since 2000 and spent a decade working as a results coach for Anthony Robbins. Welcome to the show, James. Uh, My pleasure, John. Thank you very much. Listen, I wanted to start out by kind of introducing you to our audience and, and talk a little bit about how did you get started in coaching and tell us a little bit about how you got to this point in your career. Well, thanks for asking. I, um, uh, it's a long but short story. Uh, I was uh, on the extended plan to get through college uh, back in Iowa State. I got to go five years plus some summer school. And I only bring that in to say that that was kind of my my coming of age in the self-help industry, so to speak. I found myself uh, crazy overweight, about 240 pounds, and uh, was just running up a set of stairs uh, in summer school. And something snapped in my head, and and my inner conversation changed. And so I went out and ran two miles that night on the track, really super late at night, and uh, walked a mile, ran another mile, and said, okay, I can do this. And and progressed from there into the military, and then I pro- progressed from there into some federal law enforcement. And at that point, quote unquote, had progressed in the self-help journey to where everything was supposed to be great, and I was still kind of miserable inside. You know, the conversations in my mind were not necessarily as productive or as happy as I wanted them to be. And my uncle went to a Tony Robbins event, and I said, "Hey, great, I'll go too." So I signed up for some. Went out to uh, to California, took his introductory seminar, did some other seminars, and uh, they actually approached me because uh, coaching, this was way back in 1999, it was just starting up, and it really intrigued me. It caught my attention, so I went back, took a huge leap of faith, resigned from federal law enforcement and the marshal service, moved to California, and uh, was in the second ever coaching class that Tony Robbins put on, and um, kind of never looked back after that. You said you were running upstairs and you had this epiphany, this this awakening moment. And, and were you running for from something or to something or, or what was happening there? <laughs> Great question. In hindsight, I was running from myself, right? In, uh, in, in the moment, um, I was taking eight credits of Spanish in eight weeks. So it was pretty one of those intense summer school courses, you know, four and a half hours a day. And it was one of those eerie moments. I literally, I was I lived on the second floor of the dorm, 
And so I, I kind of, if you call it running, I kind of ran up the stairs as much as you can run at 240 pounds. You know, I'm about a six foot guy. And, and it was like, I was the only person there. It was like this eerie moment you'd see in a movie or something. And all I could hear was this heavy breathing. And I'm like looking around, like who's chasing me. And I realized that it was me that was, you know, breathing so hard and all out of shape. And, and I just got really mad. And so I kind of snapped. And so I did like most people probably do. I did nothing for about, for about three days. And then the same thing happened again. Uh, it was kind of an eerie thing. And that's when I just said, okay, that's fine. I went out that night and, and ran those three miles. And um, so it, it was mostly just kind of a inner anger at myself and life and kind of where I was and, and not liking it very much. And obviously didn't have the tools that you have now as, as a coach, but were able to hear the incongruency or the dissatisfaction that you had at that moment in time. Absolutely. It was screaming inside my head. <laughs> wow. Wow. So, so fast forward going in and first of all, thank you for your service, uh, not only in the military, but also in, in the police force. But even at, at that point where you're able to contribute and give back, you said something else shifted for you. What, what happened at that point? Ideally, you know, I, I think in society we grow up with what's the, the, the societal norm or definition of success, of course. And, and ideally I had all that. I'd gotten through college. I dropped 60 pounds. I was, you know, about 180 pounds. Then I was fit. I was in shape, um, had a, a great job. You know, I think like 17,000 people applied for the marshal service when I took the test and they hired, you know, 400 of us maybe. So I, I was definitely, you know, quote unquote, from the external appearances, an achiever was successful, had everything that I was supposed to have. And I'd go home every night and just be absolutely miserable. Um, inside, didn't, the inside didn't match the outside. The conversations in my head didn't match the external environment. And that's kind of what led me to um, that. And, and my dad gave me a book. Uh, it was called As a Man Thinketh. And, and that really was like my introduction to kind of self-help and, and starting to try to, to chill out or ease some of this inner voice. So, so your dad gave you the book, your uncle introduced you to the Tony Robbins companies. And, and from there, w once you kind of entered into that personal growth and development world, you know, how did your perspective shift? Well, initially it was all externally, right? D do these things, have your power move, walk across fire, take the events. There was a lot of great psychology that went through that. And that was awesome. The, the energy was there. The momentum was there. I actually kind of ended up going through every one of the, the, the seminar experiences with the Tony Robbins companies with some family. So there was some connection there to other folks in my family. So I wasn't like, you know, the only one who was, who was saying, yes, you can empower yourself and change your life. Um, and, and probably the biggest thing I got from all the, the Tony Robbins seminars initially was just that, that this bundled up uh, emotion that I had inside, it didn't control me. I could start to channel and control it. And part of that was through language, right? Asking myself different questions, using different language and, and changing some of that internal conversation that wasn't so happy to, to uh, a place of, you know, throw the term out there, better empowerment, right? With how I was speaking and talking inside my mind. So really working on your inner game and, and your outer game at that point, changing your worldview. And then they approached you and said, hey, come work with our team. We're, we're starting this you know, results coaching program. 
And were were you part of the first bunch of people who were the Anthony Robbins coaches? I, I was, yes. I was in the second coaching class. I don't know how many they've had now, you know, 20 years later, but I was in the second class. So they were still kind of figuring it out. Tony was coming in, teaching some portions of the class and it was pretty intense. It was, I think, 10 days at the time, pretty much just run like a Tony Robbins seminar, you know, eight or nine in the morning until whenever you're done at night. <laughs> <laughs> so, so it, it was pretty intense. So what was it like? I mean, that's, you know, behind the curtain, you know, on the other side of the veil. What was it like working with the Tony Robbins companies? It, it, it was fun. I, I have to say, I, I love Tony Robbins. I love everything that he stands for. And, the, you know, the immersion that I had there in the psychology really was what allowed, allowed me to transfer from, you know, what you call the goldfish effect, which is being in the seminar. It's kind of like you get, you get put in a brand new clean fishbowl for the weekends and you get all this great new oxygen and clean water, clean thoughts, new things. But then you go back to your old fish tank, right? Which is your normal life outside of that seminar experience. And so the coaching was a way for me to kind of just be in a cleaner fishbowl for a while and, and start to monitor and, and keep things cleaner for me in my head and in my external environment. And so it was, it, it was fun. It, and the immersion experience, cause all we did there was coach. I mean, I was on the phone eight, 10 hours a day. And at one point in time, I think I had about 120 clients assigned to me. Wow. So it was it was intense. And we, we all were in San Diego at the corporate offices. So the environment was fantastic. The, my fellow coaches were amazing. And uh, it was just a really awesome, high energy uh, environment to be in. Well, that sounds like you definitely were able to achieve your 10,000 hours very quickly in your coaching career. <laughs> yes. Yes, that happened pretty quick. So, um, but once again, it was kind of that fishbowl effect, right? I was there at the corporate offices with all these other trainers. And as that, that morphed over time, we ended up moving outside of, of that, that corporate environment, working more remotely. And, and anyway, that's maybe I'm jumping ahead, but that was part of the transition of, of kind of coming back to the own internal conversation again. You can only drown out that inner voice for so long before it starts coming back. <laughs> So the inner voice you were hearing at that point, what was it saying? Uh, it, it was starting to get frustrated again. Um, uh, you know, love Tony Robbins' tools and techniques, and he's very much about starting where you are now and creating a great opportunity and, and, and creating a new emotional state that's anchored in now. The problem with that is the greatest emotional state wins. You know, at this point, I was 32, 33 years old. Um, and, and into my later 30s, actually, because I think I, I, I left the company in 2010. So I was anyway. And and so you can only rewrite. And it's kind of like writing over the the if you had an old book of disempowered language. Robbins was in a lot of his tools were really all about just trying to write a new story over the top of all the old stuff. So that's where I, I, I as a coach, I kind of hit a wall because I could give people all the tools. I could get them in a great state and then we'd get off the phone or myself. I'd get off the phone and I'd kind of revert back to all my old patterns and I couldn't understand why I was doing that. So the, the NLP training or linguistic programming and timeline work and hypnosis and that really allowed me to kind of open up the traditional coaching model uh, to help people more effectively and at, at some deeper levels. 
um, and basically wipe all that old writing out of there, make a new blank page so that then we could use a lot of the Robbins tools and create some new new story that could be legible and would stick, would, would be more of a long-term focus there. So your message in a way began to diverge from what was going on in there and you decided after about 10 years that, you know, I got to go out and tell my own story. Is, is that kind of what happened? Well, yes and no. I, I was, I was, I had all these, you know, I, the simplest way for me to describe it is kind of like a number line. The coaching model is great. If, if you're at zero, which is where you are now, that's step number one. And then define where you want to be somewhere out there at 10. And then the coach's proficiency comes in because they can understand all the behaviors and the obstacles that you set in place, right? The mental, emotional, physical, spiritual things between the zero and the 10. And then you can, if you understand what all those obstacles are mentally, emotionally, physically, spiritually, mental is the self-talk, emotional is are the feelings or the values that we have. Physical is internal, our biochemistry and external strategies. Uh, and then the spiritual piece, right? Hope and faith and belief that we can do something. Coaching just says, great, here's a strategy to overcome that that obstacle. And then step number five, of course, is to hold people accountable and give them some unconditional love and support and all those things to get them where they want to go, uh, keep them motivated. That, and that. But I found that that was really only half of a model because I still kept dragging all this stuff from zero to negative 10 forward with me, trying to to, to succeed and, and help these other people and Basically, um, it turns into that psychological conundrum of the cobbler's son that has no shoes, right? He's great at fixing everybody else's shoes, but when it comes to his own kids or his own feet, his own shoes, he doesn't have any. So I, I found myself in this position kind of at the end of 2010 as I was moving and transitioning. You know, I'd had 10 years of this immersion experience really helping people. And I started to get frustrated because people would come in and I could only help them up to a certain point and then they'd quit or this would happen or that would happen. And, and, um, and I wasn't, I, I, I knew there had to be a new deeper layer of change to help them shift. Like I said, all that thinking, and I still had all that thinking. <laughs> so I had to figure out something was missing in my mind in the model and NLP and hypnosis and, and timeline work. Um, I was great at using it with other people, but I hadn't figured out how to use it for myself yet to clear up my stuff. So that's kind of the piece that was missing was this sense of internal need for something more, but not really understanding what it was. I couldn't really articulate it at the time, but I, I, I mean, it's with the utmost respect. Eventually I was like, you know, Tony Robbins wouldn't work for his own company. So I had to jump out. And, and do my own thing and, and kind of move to the next level and just sink or swim and figure it out. So that's what happened when I left the company and started my own business. When, when you made that shift from working to build someone else's vision to really creating and fulfilling your own, what kind of you know fears came up? What, what kind of self-talk came up that, that maybe you had to overcome that, that other people may be going through as well? Oh my gosh. <laughs> so much. Um, uh, it, it was it, it was great because it was like you could go to the seminars and have some change that lasted for a week some energy and momentum lasted for a week or maybe a month and then they built the coaching model so the coaching would sustain that more right because you could have a coaching session once a week and but then you'd be pumped up for an extra day or two so you'd counterbalance that out but then as a, trying to struggle to become an entrepreneur I had all that 
cobbler's son that has no shoes, self-talk coming up. You know, I don't know what to do. I can't. I'm not. Um, you know, I don't know how. What do I do now? I've never done this before. You know, I'm, I'm a poor kid from Iowa. I had all this baggage, you know, from, from my dad was an entrepreneur. My dad's dad was an entrepreneur. Um, and it's a long story. I don't want to bring up all my own baggage, but all of my personal stuff that I was bringing forward, whether it was from influences from my father, my father's father, my mom, everybody, that's what I was sitting at my desk battling. That's what all those voices in my head were. Um, I just couldn't drown them out anymore. You know, I kind of self-helped myself out. I could only listen to other material for so long and I didn't know what to, what to do with myself. And that's kind of what I was going to ask about that. So you have these limiting beliefs, you have these doubts, these fears, these emotions that are there. You're listening to other people to try to help you get out of it. How did you, was it external that really got you over the hump or was it having a real conversation with yourself? What, what exactly happened to help you get through it? It was another pain moment. <laughs> you know, using the Tony Robbinsism, right? People only change it when they're, they're having a moment of extreme pleasure or extreme pain. Um, I kind of rode the ship down, um, you know, the cobbler son that had no shoes, um, just being a hundred percent transparent for all the people out there who might be listening, thinking, Oh, you know, you know, he's so he succeeded now, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. You know, I, uh, became extremely incongruent with myself. I kept shoving, shoving this stuff back down, um, and, um, put myself about $50,000 in debt was not congruent and, and telling some of the key people in my life. And that of course impacted my relationship and some other things. And, and I remember it was another moment I was sitting in my desk in about 2014 or, or so. And, and I was thinking to myself, 2013, I was thinking, you know what, I can help all these people and I'm adding up all the money that I've made. You know, I'm helping millionaires and all these people on the phone and I'm adding up the amount of money I made, you know, I made like less than $30,000 the first six months of the year. And, and I was 50 grand in debt. My son was just hitting college and, and I was just inside my head, a conversational mess and, um, kind of broke down in tears and did all this stuff. And the brilliance of, of my NLP trainer, Matt James came back in and I remember being in a seminar and he asked a rhetorical question for learning, which is, you know, why are you people going to go home and not use this stuff for yourself? And I was the first one to raise my hand. <laughs> I didn't realize at the time, but this is what came back. I was the first one to raise my hand because I had all the reasons why everybody was going to go home and not use this for themselves. And of course, the brain doesn't register the word not. So I was reinforcing how I was going to go home and not use this stuff on myself. Right. <laughs> and, um, uh, and, and so in that moment, I just said, you know what, I have to find a way to help myself. And so I, I hit my moment of pain and I put this this program together for myself to fill that gap of the seminars, then coaching. And then what do you do when you're sitting at your desk all by yourself or whatever? And this negative, these negative thoughts come in about I can't do it or whatever. And what I found was that was the missing piece for me. So I literally spent the next six months. I gave myself an immersion course in emotional release uh, using timeline work. You'll hear different words for it. Timeline therapy. Uh, time lining, you know, mental, emotional release, things like that. And I basically went back and just started to clear up all of these negative conversations in my head, letting my unconscious mind build some rapport with my unconscious mind and just let everything go for about six months. And at the end of 2014, um, 
without even realizing I hit my two big goals. I had a $10,000 a month in my coaching practice. And you got to keep in mind the average uh, coach only makes about forty-three, $44,000 a year. So I had a $10,000 a month and I made over $100,000 that year without even realizing it. And that was within the six months of me sitting there, um, you know, not making, barely making 30 uh, or the first six months of that year. So this last six months with this immersion of clearing up all these negative conversations and the emotional baggage that I had, I, I totally kind of blew the doors off my business without even realizing it. And it was all cleaning up my inner house and the cobbler's son that had no shoes. He finally found that he was good enough to go buy some nice shoes for himself and had the money to do it. So he found some shoes. I love it. Yeah. 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 So it really, and I think that's a big thing in, in today's world that so many people know what to do. But until they get out of their head and get rid of their head trash, that's what holds them back. And so you really became your probably most important client at that point. That's what I said. That's funny you say that because that's when people say, hey, James, what do you do? And, and, and how would I find your ideal client? I'm like, anybody who says I know what I need to do and I'm just not doing it. <laughs> <laughs> and that's how I kind of describe what I do. But What's really what's really interesting in that is is um, you're absolutely correct. My entire business changed just by shifting and changing the thinking and the thoughts and the feelings and the emotions that were in my head. But it was almost in my heart. Right. But it, but it was almost like just by letting this stuff go, everything else happened naturally because I got myself back to neutral. And when when you're in neutral, then then you can start to hear, you know, this is my message to people out there who are struggling to find their purpose. They're struggling to find some goals in that. You can't find it and you can't see it because your vision is blurry. Your vision is blurred by all this you know, anger, sadness, fear, guilt, these limiting decisions, this stuff that's swirling around in your mind and these negative conversations. And if you can just get to a place where you can like let those go and get back to neutral, that's where life and opportunity opens up and you really can discover that truth, those internal messages, that are authentic about, hey, this is what I really want to do. But you can't do that until you let this these negative emotional aspects go. Um, I was thinking before we got on the phone, I was like, how would I describe this? It's it, the perfect way to describe this in terms of the conversations I had in my head was it was like a big tornado. And, and if you're just looking at it, trying to record it and everything, this tornado, it, there's just so much wind and so much debris and everything just swirling around inside my head. And all the answers are in the middle, in, in that place of calm, in that place of centeredness of, or kind of truth on the inside. That's what everybody's looking for is just that moment of total like peace and perfection and unity and harmony or, you know, truth. But you can't get there to figure out what your purpose is. What are your next steps, your next goals in life that you're really going to be emotionally um, uh, in tune with and really just hit you with the core. You, you can't discover that until you 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 um, release all that debris and get all that stuff that's swirling around from the outside. You, you got to find a way to to let that go, right? To disperse all that negative energy in your head in those conversations. That's fantastic. I love that that message. I love that metaphor. I, I've never heard that before, but it, but it makes so so much sense, and it really leads into you know the power of meditation and being present in the moment. You know, I know a moment ago, James, you said that you know you you really help someone who knows what to do, but for whatever reason they're not taking action because you help them get to the eye of the storm so they can be centered no matter what's going on around them. Do you have 
a preferred focus. You know, most people who work as coaches, they work, you know, business, relationships, family, you know, health and wellness. What is your preferred focus? Keeping it super simple. Uh, it's it's a two-pronged approach. I love to burn the candle from both ends. So what I mean by that is is always taking a look at, at where the person is now and keeping them empowered to try to stay and have these moments of truth of where they're moving forward towards. And at the same time, I try to keep a heavy emphasis on clearing up all the negative stuff from the past. So for the listeners out there, if you can imagine it this way, it's like if another way of saying it outside the tornado thing is if you can imagine an old ship, right? And, and you're it's sailing across the ocean. And, and if you looked off the back end of the ship, there's all these negative anchors that we're all dragging forward from our past. And these anchors of anger, sadness, fear, guilt, limiting decisions, past girlfriends, boyfriends, whatever, all this junk is back there. And if there's a 10 knot wind, right, we want to be sailing forward and, and you can be doing everything right with your coach. You know, I'd be there on the, on the, the deck with you and we have our course charted and everything is great. We're only making about maybe one knot an hour because even though it's a 10 knot wind, we got all this stuff that's dragging us back. So I take a two pronged approach. I want to make sure that everything is clean and clear on the deck. Everything's working correctly. The sails are up. Everything's right. We have clarity. We have focus on where we're going. And then we start chopping these ropes, right? These anchors to all this stuff that's below the surface that we can't see in the unconscious mind. We start working that and chopping that off. And it's like all of a sudden we're like, that's the first level of resistance, right? Just letting go of all this negative stuff. And then beautiful stuff happens because with, with no additional energy, right? Still the 10 knot wind. But now instead of just going one, because we're dragging all this bag, you start going two, three, four, five, six knots, right? Faster. It, it, things just pick up naturally when you do the emotional clearing work with no additional effort. It's like, it's the coolest thing ever. And then it, there's a second form of resistance to clear up though, because all of a sudden more negative stuff comes in like, oh my gosh, this is too good to be true. Oh my gosh, how long is this going to last because of all this stuff from the past? You got to keep clearing, chopping those anchors in the past. Or you're saying, oh my gosh, look at all this opportunity in front of us now. We're going twice as fast, three times as fast, four times as fast, five times as fast. Is the wind going to keep blowing at 10? What if it goes to 15? You know, I'm not used to my sails being this taut, you know, or this. Is this going to hold? Is that going to hold? So there's there's always resistance in two forms. There's resistance emotionally of stuff to clear up. And then as we start moving forward quicker, better, faster, you know, I hit that $100,000 a, a year. All of a sudden I started to panic that $10,000 a month. So I was just like, $1 more, $1 more next month. And then, so I hit it the first three months. I was like, yes. And then the fourth month, I went down to 9,000 something. I was like, ah, you know, <laughs> so I had to clear, the, clear that stuff up. And then it's never happened again. So, so now I just, now I have the wonderful opportunity of just stretching myself more. You know, 11,000, 12,000, 15,000, 17,000, $20,000 a month. Now I just have the pleasure of saying wherever I want to go quicker, better, faster with less effort. And I get to choose where I'm going now. And there's so many more destinations for me to choose from that my old path is, I don't even remember what the map was, right? We're sailing into new territory all the time. So uh, just, just another metaphor to, to, to talk about. You asked me about what my approach is. I like to do both. We need to chop all the anchors and get rid of the negative stuff and make sure that we seize opportunity and, and, and uh, you know, find just, just more and more moments of peace and happiness and fulfillment with, with the calmer I don't want to say the calmer storm, but being in the center more, right? Being in the being in the, the the space where we all want to be, where life is just better, easier, faster, um, and we can achieve more with less. Well, I love the multi-level meaning of you know having your sails full 
I think it's great for a business perspective as well as a ship perspective. So well done on that one. That's fantastic. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> so is there anything, you know, let's think about business for a second. Speaking of business, you know, sure. what is it that business owners should be focused on first and foremost, or, or even talking about internally or externally with their team? That's a big question. <laughs> it, it's pretty broad. And, and please forgive me for being so broad, but you know, to, to fill the sales, so to speak, not just on a, a sales perspective, but on the metaphor of the ship, how, how do you make sure that the, the sales are full and you're going in the right direction with the right energy? Are, are you looking for, for, well, I'll answer that two ways. If you're looking for an, an external strategy, that's, that's uh, what I love to, um, to call like your, your morning or weekly CEO routine. So, so taking some time to sit in the center, right? Sit in your place of truth or honor where you want to go in the center of the storm, right? Cause there's always some storm around us, right? Cause that's, that's the natural energy of the universe. It's a dichotomy, right? Hot, cold, light, dark. Um, so, um, but the CEO morning routine is five simple things. It's waking your mind up with some oxygen. <sighs> that could be exercise, physical movement, or just doing some deep breathing. Uh, if your stomach's going to get in the way, right, eating some, eating a light, uh, non-carb breakfast, because if you're waking up your mind, you don't want to, don't want to put your body to sleep with, uh, you know, <laughs> a carb coma. Um, but then the next three pieces are important, which is, which is reading something to engage your right brain. So you have your creative aspect, your creative mind going. And then also doing something left brain, which is, which is reviewing your day, reviewing your goals, looking at, Hey, where am I going? What this week or this month or this quarter, uh, you know, uh, or today. And then step number five, of course, is just to stop and meditate and, and see, hear, feel. That's the first step I always teach my clients, right? See, hear, feel and start to see things the way that you want them to be in terms of what you want to create. So it's kind of the, the synthesis of getting your, your body in the right space with the oxygen and the, the, the settling the stomach, so to speak getting your mind in the right place by engaging your right and your left brain and then, and then meshing it all together or kind of integrating it all together. And NLP, we call that the parts integration, right? Bringing all those parts together and, and just, you know, seeing your life, how you want it to be for the day. So for an external strategy, that is a key process for me in terms of a foundation for success uh, to bring those types of conversations together because then I can more effectively lead the people in my business that are helping me with do all the IT work, you know, the people who are helping me in all these other facets of, of the business. And I uh, am better able to help my clients at the same time with the myriad of, of challenges that they face. Uh, in, in terms of, of uh, that's on the personal level, but in terms of like a business for a business leader, um, I, I think it's, it's, it's really having that that calm time to have that authentic conversation with yourself so that you can have that authentic conversation with the people that you're leading. And there's many different levels of all that, but just having clarity about where you're leading them to, being able to ask those questions to engage them, to have that common vision. And then really after that, a lot of it's about listening, I find, so that you can let them try to get to that authentic place where they're communicating back with you so that you can understand how and where you can most effectively help and lead them to overcome 
you know, their, their weaknesses, their challenges and integrate their strengths at higher levels. That's a really long, long, uh, long answer, but, um, uh, the best way to have conversations is to ask effective questions and listen. Um, I always say in coaching, I, I, I love to be, to be a great defense lawyer because defense lawyers always have clarity on where they're going and they only ask questions for two reasons. One is to gain more information so that they can understand. And then the second one is to start to ask questions to get that person where that person needs to go to achieve the outcome. Right. And, and that's, that's really moving and empowering and leading with, with effectiveness. Well, it seems like that's exactly where your answer, you know, ended up was not just obviously about leaders, but the importance of mindset in, in every area of our lives, you know, as parents, in relationships and in, in even in health and fitness, in that routine you mentioned, you know, starting with breath, you know, doing some reading, doing some exercise to get yourself focused. In fact, you know, one of the ways that you and I connected originally was with with a love of running, you know. And I know from our conversations that you're, you're an avid runner, James. Am I am I right about that or what? <laughs> I've I've logged a few miles in my life. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> now, didn't if I remember correctly, you did a race recently. And I may not be right with the details here so that you ran for is it an entire day? Yes, it was a twelve. It was a, sorry, it was it was a twelve hour race. So I, I ran about eleven and a half hours and uh, did about forty five miles. Forty five miles. That's incredible. So what was that? What is that like? And how how do you even set that as a goal? That seems amazing. Well, you have to remember, I've come a long way since I was the the. 240 pound guy who, um, was struggling to, to run two miles around a track at, you know, 11 or 12 at night. Cause I didn't want anybody to see me because my life was full of shame and guilt. So remember, this is after a culmination of what, almost 30 years. I just turned 50 this last year. So, um, you know, not too bad for a 50 year old, but so, so, but, 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 but part of, part of what I would say is just, I, I do what I love and I was, Somebody asked me that we just did a Christmas party and somebody asked me, they said, Hey, why do you run? And I said, well, you know, it's, it's about the most whole and complete experience I could have because that's where I have honestly the most authentic conversations with myself. I mentioned earlier, you know, we have this self-talk and it's mental, emotional, physical, and spiritual. There's different components of all that. And, um, running is where I can find that calm in the middle of the storm and, um, find myself. Right. At the end of the, the physical, you know, when you approach the end of your physical rope is where you can have that most authentic talk and connection with yourself. I, I believe in any endeavor. So now you had shared with me previously that this, this 12 hour run that you did was not even your longest run. In fact, you did, I don't even know how to describe this amazing, what was it? What was it called with the, it was like a full day. It was. It was. Uh, I did a hundred mile race back in 2011, and um, it's uh, just had a 30 hour time limit. And so you just did this 12 and a half mile loop eight times, or as much as you could. And if you finished, you finished. And so I ran a hundred miles, ran walked a hundred miles in about 27 and a half hours or so. Wow, that's that's impressive. What goes through your head? I mean, what do you as a routine? Like, are you listening to Spotify at this point? Are you? I don't. I don't. At 2011, I'm not sure they're around. But 
are you like do you have this amazing playlist are you listening to what are you what are you doing in your mind to keep yourself focused for 27 and a half hours 27 plus hours you know it's kind of like the metronome of life so i i was i was working on a on a little facebook thing the other day and and i was because it's you know it's the end of the year it's goal setting so those of you who are listening to this outside of christmas whatever but it's still applicable <laughs> and um um, it's a little bit of both. So like when I just did the, the 12 hour race, um, for the, about the first 20 miles, I didn't listen to anything. I just ran, uh, and, and, and worked to just calm down the conversation in my head and ask myself some better questions. Like, Hey, w- what did I want my life to be about in 2019? What, what were some meaningful goals? What were some of the things that keep coming back and just, um, emotionally kept sticking Right. And and so I, I kind of look I'm linking link this up with goal setting. It's kind of like your goals should be like a good pot of stew or a good pot of of uh, of uh, coffee or something. You just have to brew for a long time because you're going to flip back and forth. The metronome is going to come over to one side and you're going to have this emotional moment. Of, oh, my gosh, I know what I'm going to do 100 miles. And the first time I had that that emotional thing, oh, my gosh, I could maybe I had the possibility if I could do 100 miles and I signed up. I never even showed up for the race. Right. So so sometimes you, you're over here and you have this this conversation inside your head that's emotional, that's creative, it's that right brain. And it's like, yeah, but that can be uh, you got to be careful of that because it's an emotional impulse. Right. It's like it's like a quick jolt, a shot of caffeine and it goes away pretty quick, too. And so it doesn't stick around very long because <laughs> as soon as you walk back in the door and the left brain hits and you're like, OK, but oh, my gosh, I've never done that before. How am I going to do it? And that negative left brain self-talk wins. Like when I signed up for the hundred mile race this first time I quit, I was like, I, I can't do it. Oh, my knee hurts. I don't know how I'm ever going to make this happen. All that negative mental stuff came in my head and I, I, I was, that got the better of me. So I quit. And so I, I like to, to go, go work and run and coming back to what you're asking me about. I kind of like the metronome. I like going back and forth between, Hey, how, you know, what am I emotionally charged with? And how would I do that? And what's emotion? What am I emotionally charged with? And how would I do that? And and it takes me like I started my 2019 goals in September or October, and I just now kind of have them shored up. So I I love that metronome effect, as I call it, where you're going back and forth in your mind, and eventually you'll you'll work out your internal self talk, or at least I do, to a point where I can keep coming back to being emotionally invested in it. And then when I flip back over to my left brain and that self-talk there, I'm like, okay, I, yeah, I can figure out how to do it. I don't know exactly how to do it, but then I can flip back over and be emotionally charged, but then come back over to how am I going to do it and still not quite know every quite not know everything on how exactly I'm going to do it, but that's okay. I can keep my hope and my faith engaged and I can get back out and enjoy enjoy it again. And, and, and you just find that, that comfortable rhythm back and forth, that, that, that comfortable pace. Right. That that works for you. Tony Robbins goes tick, 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 tick. I'm more of a tick, tick, tick. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so so everybody has to find the, the right rhythm and the right pace. And and so that's what the conversation is in, in, in my mind. Correct me if I'm if I'm wrong in, in my understanding here, but with the, with the metronome going back and forth that. I, I can get excited about something and want to go for it, but then I might have some emotional charge come up. 
But as long as I keep swinging back, then I don't have to get upset that I've had this emotional charge. I can just use it as feedback that I'm actually on the path. Isn't that the one thing that's most important? I think it is. I, I mean, I, I, I run just because I run. You, you know, I, I, um, I just am. I, I'm, I coach because I'm just a coach. I'm, I help people. So whether you help people because you're a coach or you run because you run or I help people with running or coaching or whatever, you know, you're a teacher. You're 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 a lot more than that. One aspect of you is you're a teacher. And so, you know, bringing bringing information, educating people, empowering them to be the best that they can be. As long as you're you're authentic with your truth of who you are is, um, you know, really the and one year path. Oh, that, that's what it was. Thank you, Brain. Um, so many people, you said, Hey, what's, what's one of the biggest obstacles that, that people face? And, and it's just having that awareness of you, your strengths, your weaknesses, and then the acceptance of that. Yeah. Right. And, and, and once you, once you have that awareness and that acceptance, that's, that's the start of that calm in the center where you can really start to have that authentic conversation with yourself. Cause I don't have to beat myself up that I'm not Tony Robbins going tick, 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 tick. Right. I can go in, in my behavioral style, my speed. And, and I'm just I'm the long distance guy. You know, I, I just I, I just don't give up. I stay focused and I just keep going. And that, that's my gift. You know, I like that. My wife is the opposite. <laughs> she's a type A. She's a go getter. She's like, yeah. So having that acceptance and that that awareness of, of who you are and the acceptance of it allows you to have a lot of those key conversations that that help you stay centered. So the long distance guy, you know, it's TikTok, TikTok at your own pace. Do you still look for external influences to encourage you on the path to learn from, or are you more about finding the truth that's within at this point? Yes. <laughs> Thanks for clarifying. <laughs> yeah. So, so I would say this, right? If you asked me, you said, Hey James, what are your goals for 2019? I have both. I'd say, yeah, guess what? I got a, a marathon on March 2nd. I have a marathon on, on May 10th or May 18th. Um, I'm going to do the same 12 hour race. I got another one in, in January of 2020 with, uh, I, a couple of these are with my client, one of my clients. And then I have a huge goal in, in May of 2020. Um, and, um, I'm going to try to do 300 miles in six days, two marathons a day for six days. So if you ask me, yes, do I have these long-term goals, left brain goals? Absolutely. Uh, because, because it's Parkinson's law, right? All work expands to fill the time allotted for its successful completion. So I got the tick over here. That's, that's my left brain. That's my logic mapping this out. But then if I go over here to the motivation side of that and you said, well, why are you doing that? You know, I, I don't, I, yes, I have my marathon training plans and all that stuff, but I went out running yesterday. My wife said, how many miles are you going to do? And I said, all of them. <laughs> and I just walked out my front door and I ended up, I ended up doing eight. Right. So, so the, the, the key is it's not one or the other, but it's really the integration of both. I run cause I'm a runner. Do I have goals? Yes. Um, but I run just because I love to run and, and that's the balance of the metronome and the tick tock. If you said, James, why are you doing this stuff? You know, I could say, okay, I'm going to do a fundraiser and, and for, you know, Operation Underground Railroad and all this other stuff that's helping me stay emotionally engaged and have leverage with my clients. And I tell people, that's part of why I'm just saying it here. Uh, if anybody thinks that's arrogant, it's not. 
I'm actually my own best client when I'm not on the phone and I'm just creating leverage for myself to make sure I have to follow through now that I said it and I put it out there. <laughs> right. Totally. So, so yes, we need both. Who are you studying right now? What are you reading? What are you into? I'm into a lot. I'm, I'm reading a, imagine at a running book, uh, by Dr. George Sheehan called running and being, it's an old classic. I just stumbled across it. Uh, I have Deepak Chopra's you are the universe. Um, I have my Bible. I have 365 days of Zen. Um, I just started reading one of my favorite books again, which is Ender's Game, which is a science uh, fiction fantasy type of a book that's all about, you know, our, our progress of growth um, is set in the science fiction context. So I, I read a little bit of everything, whatever I feel like pulling out that morning. <laughs> when you think about all the books you, you've read over the last, you know, almost 20 years of a career in personal growth and development, what are some of the most influential books? I imagine As a Man Thinketh has got to be on the list somewhere. That's definitely the top, not just because my dad gave it to me, but just from the simplicity of it, the, the depth of it, but the simplicity of it. Um, uh, I have to say, I always, not going into the religious concept con, context, but I always had trouble reading the Bible. But since I've I've done all this emotional release work and 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 really worked to improve my own thinking, you know they say the Bible's written in three levels. There's the practical real life space. There's the the emotional context of it, and then there's the deeper spiritual aspect of it. I can understand it a lot more. So that's something I've been kind of from a spiritual context, you know. Um, so that's been an interesting thing. Um, Probably the other book that's coming to mind right now is actually um, Wayne Dyer's book, where he wrote on the the 365 days of, of the Tao. Um, uh, I think it's called Change Your Destiny or something like that. I, I forget the name of the book, but it, that's great. And um, uh, so, so I have all sorts of books. <laughs> I don't know if I can. I don't know if I can say. I don't know if I could say I have a favorite because I, I, if I have one vice next to running, it's buying books. <laughs> I'm with you, my friend. I'm with you. <laughs> Speaking of history, James, if I may ask you, so let's go back to that that kind of getting to know each other question. If you could have dinner with three people in history, you know who it would be and what would you talk about? Great question. Oh, gosh, I thought about that. I was like, oh, my gosh, really seriously, what would I do? So I, I came up with three great names. Uh, first, I would go back and talk to Jesus. Um, and the reason for that very specifically is there was a span of life where he went off and did all this training, so to speak, and nobody knows what he did. So I, I would go back and ask him what he did during those those years because i'm theoretical and i'm curious sure <laughs> just, i would love to know what what happened in those middle years where there's no record of it uh but he obviously uh, very much uh deepened his faith and changed his conversations inside his mind i'm sure so so that would be number one and number two would be ronald reagan and i i say that only because in in reading about him um, he had such a unique path, you know, being in, 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 in uh, a movie, uh, an actor, right, being a movie star, and then transitioning through both of the different political parties. I'm not opening a political door right here. Um, but then as he got on the political campaign on his road to presidency, he read or he wrote almost all of his speeches. He didn't have um, uh, traditional speechwriters, as I understand, and he wrote almost everything himself. And, and, and that fascinates me how 
somebody at that level could be so well educated or um, uh, have such a grasp on the understanding of the world, especially during that Cold War era. And of course, that's my childhood where where they would be able he would be able to be so knowledgeable that he could write uh, all the speeches and all of his campaign work that he did. I, I just think that's brilliant. And um, um, so and then the third person would be um, Dr. David Hawkins. Um, he has a, uh, he's passed on now, but he came up with a brilliant um, set of uh, levels of consciousness based on emotionalism. And they've been been very um, uh, influential for me in regards to clearing up, clearing up negative energy. Right. The whole concept of of emotional clearing, which on a grander scheme leads to enlightenment, right? You have to clean, clear up your shame so that you can clear up your guilt, so that you can clear up your apathy, so you can clear up, clear up your grief, to your fear, to your desire, to anger, to pride, to courage, to being neutral, to flipping, to being willing, to be accepting, to have reason and love and joy and peace and then enlightenment. So, so his, his, um, exploration and definition of that path is I think all of our ultimate purpose, which is we're put on life to learn our lessons and continue to to move through these different levels of emotional consciousness and and doing this emotional release work helps us to do that. Because uh, then we can truly, truly uh create the, the biggest impact as just by being. Yeah. Right. Um so I, I would go back and talk to him because I think he would just be fascinating. He has a great sense of humor. <laughs> So, so it'd be, it'd be a fun conversation. <laughs> Lighten the mood here for a second and not go so deep, but, uh, but it'd just be a fun conversation. Excellent. Thanks so much for, for sharing. When you think about conversation in general, are there any conversational pet peeves that you have? Yes. Someone, some, someone who uh, watches their words so much that they're never really just authentic. What do you mean by that? I'm going to tread a little lightly here because I was a member of Toastmasters for many years. Toastmasters is a fantastic organization. I I was in it for three years. I was president of a club and, and they, they want you to speak very, they, they teach a person to sync, speak very succinctly with all of the tools and never say, um, never say, ah, uh, as I say, uh, And, 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 and so it's, it's like slowing down to a point where you're thinking about every word so carefully to really present a polished, clear and focused presentation that's meticulously thought out. And, um, see, I just said, um, again. And, and so if somebody's watching their words too much or working to be too much of a quote unquote kind of a perfectionist, I don't know that you ever really get the authentic person coming out. And, and, and I think that, that I, I very much value authenticity, authenticity, integrity, just saying how you mean it, whether it's truly a, a, a left brain sentence or it's just an emotional feeling, having, having the opportunity to express yourself to people and, and have the people accept that, be open to your ideas and, 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 and have, a, um, a neutral, non-judgmental support. And I know I'm opening up the box a little bigger than what you originally asked for, but uh, p- people who who are too closed because they're worried about what other people would think, or they can't be authentic, they can't, you know, have the opportunity to work through their storm and find that place of truth for themselves. I, I think um, 
that's a very valuable place to be able to tap into and to go to. So I think my only real pet peeve in terms of, of speaking is, is to A, either not speak uh, your truth or to cover it up. And, and I think those are probably the, the, the two biggest um, problems. If I hear you correctly, are you, are you saying then what's more important is the perfected message and the delivery, but but the the true voice and, and being willing to be vulnerable and, and being less than perfect, which we all are, of course. Absolutely, because being less than perfect is perfect. So so I think you know the, the real way that you connect with people is 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 just by being authentic, and and because remember the the judgment that may be my point of view. So, so, um, you know, if I'm like do, saying something or communicating to, cause I don't want any drama, I might actually be creating that drama. Um, so, you know, we have to speak, I, I just encourage true, authentic communication in its imperfection. And if we're, we're so worried about, uh, fear or not being loved or not being accepted or not, not having that connection with other people or not being able to speak our truth and, have other people be open to it or we get condemned for it or, or, or whatever that is. I mean, opposites attract ideas and speaking and communicating differences of opinion is, is I think, you know, the core of, of what makes us all unique individuals, right? You have your perspectives. I have my perspectives. Nobody else will ever have a perspective like we have. So if we can't communicate that and then share it authentically and, and have a conversation like we have had today, what you agree with, you know, you may hate running. Uh, wonderful. You know, you may. That's why I said before, you may perceive me as being arrogant because I told you my big goal. Uh, but that's not my that's not my communication. You know, in NLP, we say your communication, the, the, the meaning of your communication is in is in how the other person perceives it. So you have to try to be as truthful and authentic as you can. So the other person can see that in your communication. Otherwise, it's it's uh, not there and having the dialogue back and forth to get to those places so i really understand you you really understand me and uh that's what in the end brings us together even if we agree to disagree so so yeah so inauthentic communication is i think really um a disservice would you say then at that point then there the issue is with someone trying to put on a show rather than just being themselves yeah (laughs) thanks for being succinct i did answer (laughs) ask a yes or no question fair enough (laughs) Thank you. Thank you for putting a, a three minute response into one sentence for me, John. <laughs> I'm trying to be a good listener. It. Yeah. <laughs> See, you're, you're authentic in your communication. I love it. <laughs> well, let, let's, let's flip it around then. So if, if authenticity is part of what makes a, a, a good conversationalist, then what else do you see are some other attributes of, of people that you may have seen who are, you know, perhaps the best conversationalist or at least the most authentic, perhaps? The people who can ask a great question and listen because because very simply stated you only have to have one great question to have an incredible level of communication because if you can ask one very thoughtful question that will allow the other person to open up and be a little bit more authentic than they were to share a little bit of that swirling tornado inside their mind that they think you know only they have when you listen, you have to calm down your tornado and, and listen, and people will give you all you need to have a follow-up question and another follow-up question and another follow-up question. 
and 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 it's the greatest gift you can give somebody. It's unconditional love and acceptance. When when someone feels comfortable enough, just because you ask a question and they can open up and be themselves, it's it's one of the greatest gifts we can actually give each other. Is is the gift of listening and asking another question, having an, a, a real interest in in other people and what they have to say. I mean, that's what you're doing. You're asking fantastic questions, and you've probably talked ten minutes out of this last hour, and I've talked fifty. <laughs> so it's it's one of the greatest gifts that we can give another person well james i really appreciate your time thank you so much for spending your time with us and sharing about your experience and your analogies and metaphors and words of wisdom for sure thank you so much i'll be succinct thank you john to find out more about james murphy and to connect with him head on over to evolutionforsuccess.com and schedule a free success now session like you said, if you know exactly what it is you need to do in life, in your business, in your relationships, in your health and fitness, but for some reason you're not doing it because of the mindset, head on over. Take that 45 to 60 minute session and, and, and start creating some results in your life today. So that's James Murphy at evolutionforsuccess.com. Thanks for listening to Key Conversations for Leaders with your host, John Ryan. One of the themes from today's show was about finding your purpose. If you'd like help finding and clarifying your purpose, go ahead and visit keyconvo.com forward slash free and pick up a copy of my free report, Seven Reasons Why You Need a Big Why. Again, it's keyconvo.com forward slash free.